1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. These words in verse 5, holy women, they are compelling words. And they should prompt a question within each of us where we would ask, what does God mean and what does He intend with these words? Holy women who hoped in God. Holiness seems often to be a very subjective thought within the minds of most with differing thoughts and ideas about what it means. With some people seeking with all of their heart to know and to live out holiness within their daily lives. But then others who would seem to stay nearer to the surface in their understanding and in their obedience, declaring that, well, no one can really be holy except God alone. And then when the human sinful nature that is born within each of us is factored into that equation, then too often convenience becomes the chosen path. Saying that surely these things that God is saying to us are not as demanding as they seem. They cannot be. But instead, they're probably more intended on the order of suggestions, perhaps. Maybe guiding principles and philosophies given to us for our help in those times when our logical mind can't quite figure out the acceptable solutions to our daily dilemmas. And as those people who choose to take that softer stand observe the behavior of the other people who choose their stronger stand for holiness, they often defend their own position by crying legalism. And they chide, they even scold those other people for their legalistic approach, their rigidity in the Scriptures. I can recall a strong debate on this matter of legalism that took place some years ago among the leaders in the ministry there at French camp. Some of them chose that stronger path of strict adherence to the principles of Scripture, while others chose instead to try to soften the handling of Scriptures such as these. Now those who chose that stronger, more legal approach to a matter could oftentimes, oftentimes appear harsh and rigid. And that seemed to cause those who chose that softer side to all the more emphasize their need to follow the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. And yes, the spirit of the law really is a very excellent position to hold. But it also can be fraught with error. 
because then each person is left to determine exactly what the spirit of a particular law was dictating. And then it becomes subjective all over again. Now, I want to emphasize that both sides of that debate had some of the most devout, Bible-believing Christians you'll ever encounter. They all loved the Lord. And they were all going to be in heaven with us. But they had these strong differences in their debate. Now, I mention that because these words that we're dealing with here today in the First Peter 3, all through this book, these words were written to devout, believing Christians. Solid. And as we consider these instructions to women regarding their response about submission to their husbands, and also concerning the manner in which they would adorn themselves with hairstyles and clothing and jewelry, these instructions are intended for women that really do want to be in obedience to the Lord. But as we've been saying here, such choices and such behaviors regarding true holiness. What is true holiness? How is it to be worked out in daily lives? None of that's easy. Especially because holiness really is not a subjective expression of our faith. It really is not. Holiness really is very specific. And it's well defined and well explained within these scriptures. And it has some very, very strict boundaries. Now, may I also pause here for a moment and remind us that these particular words that are addressing you ladies, such holiness is just as much for us men. Just as much for us men. And we men, we husbands, must make the same kinds of choices that our wives are here being commanded to make. But because God is addressing women with these words in this particular passage, calling them holy women, we'll confine our words today to addressing you ladies. Again, what is holiness? What is holiness? What does God intend for women? Again, all people, men and women alike. What, is, what does He intend when He commands us to be holy? We studied those words in 1 Peter 1 just some weeks back. There we read in verse 15, But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Those are words of God. Now, holiness, first of all, is a very special attribute of God. An attribute that first resides within Him and Him alone. Within His character. Within His being. It's part of who He is. But here, because you and I are His sons and His daughters, He's calling each of us to join with Him, to become one with Him, and to let His attribute of holiness become an attribute of ours. But how can that be? How can that be? How can God's holiness flow into us and become a part of who we are? Let's note again these words here in 1 Peter. Verse 15, But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
These words tell us that we must first be holy before we can ever hope to do holy things. For that reason, holiness must first be a fundamental part of our being, just as it is with God Himself. It needs to be who we are. But again, because holiness has its only beginning, its only beginning within the person of God, how does His holiness become a part of you and me, of who we are? How does His holiness flow from Him into us? May I say that the answer to that question is given through most all of the pages of this Scripture. We are told plainly how that takes place. But just one of the many, many passages, and one that I like best, is 1 Corinthians 1.30. And there we're told simply, It is of God that Christ Jesus has become in you, in me, wisdom, holiness, righteousness, and redemption. When you and I pray to receive Christ as our personal Savior and Lord, that causes a very, very big change to take place within our souls. The moment that that really becomes ours, this salvation, I say that because many people this very day will walk down the aisle and they'll pray the sinner's prayer. But that salvation, their salvation will not be effectual for them. Why? It's because something within their souls is not ready to surrender everything to Christ. But in that first moment that you and I truly do surrender our hearts to Christ, there's a very, very big change that takes place within our souls. Why is that so? Why is there a difference between those who want to be a believer and those who truly become believers? It's simply that wanting Christ, believing in Him, truly believing in Him, is not enough. It is not enough. We're told in James 2 that even the demons believe in Jesus. And it says they shudder. They know exactly who Jesus is. No, there's another factor. It is never enough just to believe in Christ or to believe about Him, listen, we must also receive Him. Yes, we must believe, but we must also receive Him into our hearts, our souls, and our spirits. John 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. What does it mean to say that then that we have received Christ, that we've taken that next step of not just believing in Him or believing about Him, but now we have received Him. What what is that? What does that mean? Folks, it's as clear as those words are. It's as simple as those words are. God has put these words into common language so we'll not get them wrong. When we receive something, it becomes ours. We don't just know about it. It becomes ours. Just as food and drink are of of no benefit to us if we only receive them into our hands. They're of no benefit until we take them into our being, into who we are. And so also, listen, so also must we receive Christ deep into our being, into who we are. 
I recall a communion message that I heard one time that gave a wonderful explanation concerning the bread and the wine. I've shared this with you on other occasions, but it's so applicable to this point here. The bread and the wine, the body and the blood of Christ. As we receive that bread and that wine by eating and drinking them, as soon as we swallow them, they become a forever part of who we are. That bread and that wine are digested and then passed along into our bloodstream. And they go out to every part of our body. Every cell. Every bone. Every fiber. Forever and always to be a part of who we are. And never again to be able to be separated. Isn't that a wonderful picture of who Christ is to us? He becomes a forever part of every part of who we are. As we receive Him as our Savior and Lord, He comes into our heart, our soul, our spirit, our body, and He becomes a forever part of who we are. As we receive Him, as these words of 1 Corinthians 1 tell us, He becomes our, our wisdom. The wisdom of Christ is now within you and me. We have His wisdom, His holiness, His righteousness, and His redemption. We have wisdom that we never had before. Do you sometimes amaze yourself? I do. I listen to some of the things I say and I think, oh, I wish I'd have thought of that. We have wisdom that doesn't come through learning, studying, conversation. He imputes His wisdom into us. Here again is this word we're talking about. Holiness. We have His holiness. His purity. His perfection. And it covers over and washes away that unholiness that's so much a part of who we are. We have righteousness. Suddenly we're being convicted of the rightness or wrongness of things that we never even considered before. Even small things. It never bothered us before. Now it does. Why? It's because His righteousness has a whole new definition for right and wrong than our cultural, secular thinking. We have His redemption. You and I can't save ourselves. We have His redemption that He paid for as He shed His blood there on the cross. So then, as God was reminding the women in these churches, they are to be holy as He is holy, He's also saying to them that because they have the holiest of holies living within them, enabling them to do things, to behave in ways that they had never behaved before, these women can now conduct themselves with holy behavior. They can be holy women. Now I know this is so mystical in thinking, but it's true. This is the truth. It's not a matter of just practicing being good. 
It is having the holiness of Christ living within us and being imputed to us and worked out in the works of our hands, in the works of our mind that God gives to us. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, these commands that I give you this day shall be upon thine heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall speak of them as you lie down, as you rise up, as you walk along the way. And you shall bind them up on the palms of your hands and up on your foreheads. What's he mean by that? Everything you think is this holiness that he's talking about here. Every bit of work that you do with your hands, whether or not you are sewing things or building things in factories or or teaching, whatever you do with your hands, they have to be holy. Whatever you think comes out from this holiness. But it takes the being in order to do the doing. If you just go out there and do the doing, you're no better than the person standing next to you that don't even know Christ. And with the presence of the person of Christ abiding within you, then, you ladies, as you open up the doors of your closet each morning, wondering what you'll wear today, the holiness of the Spirit of Christ who lives within you will help you to make right choices regarding each item of clothing that you put on. Then as you begin to comb your hair and brush your hair, you'll know what hairstyle is modest and appropriate. And also with the jewelry that you put on, you'll know which piece of jewelry will glorify God. And as to the activities of these holy women that God is speaking about here, they have all sorts of advice and counsel spread throughout these scriptures for them. But let me give you just some that I love the best and you've heard often. And they're in Proverbs 31. And I'm going to read that for you. If you'll turn there to Proverbs 31. No place in the scripture is the holy woman of God better described. These words just adorn the holy woman and make her lovely. Make her absolutely lovely. Beginning in verse 10 of Proverbs 31. Let me read this for you. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and no harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ship of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. 
She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. What a treasure of a wife this virtuous Proverbs 31 woman is to her husband. He and his children and all the people that know her will rise up and praise her. Yes, she's well dressed. And her hairstyle and her makeup, they accentuate her beauty. But her real beauty, her real beauty is within her secret heart, making her countenance glow with every breath that she takes. What a beautiful woman she is. And what a holy woman she is. May I add that she has no need for such contrivances as pride and vainglory. Her beauty and her daily accomplishments speak her wisdom and her worth for her. So she can then have the humblest of hearts, calling her husband Lord, as Sarah, the matriarch of all holy women, did. Before we close these thoughts, may I encourage you blessed women concerning these words of Proverbs 31. Too often as these words are being studied, I've observed that you become discouraged at even the thought of attaining to the lofty standards that are set forth within these words. And yes, they are high and lofty goals to reach for. But may I assure you that God does not intend for you to just read these words and then go out and attempt to emulate each one of them. That's not what God wants us to do, what God wants you to do. As you put all these words and other instructions together, what God is saying to you is that as the Spirit of Christ abides within you, and as you pursue after His holiness, then you will be holy. And then out from that nature will begin to flow works of righteousness. You may never work with a weaver's loom as this woman did. You may never buy and plant a field. But you will still be holy and virtuous. The virtuous woman that God wants you to be. And you'll do many godly things. Things that befit 
your individual personality and your abilities. And then yes, yes, your husbands, your children, your friends, they'll rise up and call you blessed and they'll praise you. So then, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Let's pray.